0: The single market, the customs union, making a deal with the EU or leaving on WTO terms. There's a lot of jargon to contend with when we're discussing the economics of Brexit. Sometimes it feels like we get so caught up in pretending we know what it all means that we forget to talk about the economic impact it's going to have on people's everyday lives.
1: Will dissolving the UK's marriage with the EU leave the country feeling richer or poorer? Well, well, I think we are going to be poorer. Right. So, um, because we haven't left yet, so we don't know yet. Absolutely richer, 100%. 100% richer?
0: When we leave the EU, will some people lose their jobs? Will the things we buy become more expensive? Will businesses do better or worse under new trading rules? Those questions and more this week on the Weekly Economics Podcast as we try to figure out what Brexit is going to mean for you and me. My name's Aisha Thomas-Smith. Stay with us. So we're breaking down the Brexit jargon and we're welcoming back to the podcast Annie Quick who leads on the New Economics Foundation's work on inequality. How are you doing, Annie? Good,
2: hello, nice lovely to be back. To, lovely to have you, <laughs> lovely to
0: have you. And we've also got a very special guest this week, Sam Lowe, who does work on Brexit for Friends of the Earth and is an expert on trade. Expert. What's your favourite trade treaty, Sam?
1: I've never, ever thought about that.
0: But you're an expert on trade.
1: Yes, apparently. I quite like the EU, but, uh, oh. but that's not on uh, vogue at the moment. So... So, so so I can tell you about my favorite trade dispute or, oh, at, yeah. least, or at least or least fa- favorite favorite uh trade qualm it's less yeah, like than trade more, drama more, trade, more, trade, 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 trade 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 drama yes mm. the, the US uh really really hate that uh for whiskey to be called whiskey it has to have been aged for a barrel in 3 year, uh, for, aged for 3 years in a barrel mm. because they can do it in one and because the EU requires it to have been aged for 3 years uh the US uh struggle to sell into the EU as labelled as whiskey. That's why they have to call it bourbon. Oh,
0: mm. that is fascinating. Mm.
1: Is it, though? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> is no. it fascinating? I'm just being polite because no. you knew. Was that a um, test, actually? It was. <laughs> I, 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 I want to know everyone's going to be honest. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Welcome. Okay, so before we get chatting about Brexit, we're going to do our usual headline segment and look back at some of the news stories that we think our listeners need to know about from the past week in a bit that I like to call Looking back on where we first met. That works, right? So good. good. Thanks, Annie. So nice to not have Dave crapping all over it.
2: Right, so Annie, what's been in the news? Uh, Well, on the face of it, it hasn't been a great week for inequality, so uh, Paradise Papers came out, um, and we found out yet again, as though we didn't know, uh, that rich people are very good at avoiding paying tax, um, unlike the Panama Papers, the last sort of big expose of offshore um, tax uh, evasion. Uh, Most of this was legal, um, but... Yeah, just another kind of reminder of how much money is being squirrelled off that we still don't really understand quite how much there is and how much of it is sort of under the radar. But it wasn't all bad news because this was also Living Wage Week. Um, I'm mm. very excited about that because we get to share an office with the Living Wage Foundation, so uh-huh. uh, that's that's great. Um, so there's 150,000 workers in the UK getting a pay rise um, as a result of uh, being part of a business that has voluntarily uh, signed up to, be, to pay the real living wage. Um, and what I like about that as well is it's really putting pressure on the, those businesses that are still not paying a living wage. So, for example, my local cinema, uh, the Ritzy down in Brixton have been striking for a long time. Mm. Um, so it's an opportunity to get out there and and support those people who are kind of on the front line fighting for enough money to live on, which I think sounds pretty reasonable.
0: Very reasonable. Yeah. Uh, good news and bad news. Lovely. Exactly. Sam, what's caught your eye?
1: I, I need to give a sort of prefix to this. As, as I work for Friends of the Earth, I'm contractually obliged to mention bees every time <laughs> okay, I, make, yeah. I make a public appearance, so, mm, so I need to get that out of the way, so I'm, no, I'm no, going no, to, find, I'm to, to, go to do it, do it now. Go for it, yeah, so, yeah. so UK will back total ban on bee-harming pesticides, Michael Gove reveals.
0: Oh, wow. Tell us more, tell us more. I mean, you can if you I'm, want to. Tell I, I could. I
1: mean, the, the the headline does give away most of the story, yeah. But but Michael Gove has brought through this, decided that the UK will back a total ban <laughs> on bee harming pesticides. <laughs> because, good. And, good. and I, I don't know much more than that because I'm contractually obliged to mention it, but I'm, I'm not contractually obliged to, to know much more about it. Okay. So, okay. So, <laughs> so, so, so it's a good thing. We're really uh-huh. pleased about it. Hmm. Michael Gove has become a bit of an eco-warrior of late, which is, really? which is a, hmm. a, a shock to many of us, but, but also quite, quite nice.
0: All right, good. So a good week for uh, for the living wage and bees. Bad week for Bonner and the Queen. Exactly.
2: Brexit means Brexit means Brexit. Brexit Brexit. Brexit means Brexit means Brexit. Brexit. Is it hard, soft? Is it grey,
1: white? Actually, we want a red, white, and blue Brexit.
0: So, now for our big question. How will Brexit affect our lives? It's almost a year and a half since the UK made one of the biggest political decisions of our lifetime, a decision that we'll feel the impact of for years to come. But what exactly will be the consequences for our economy? Take away. champions of Brexit say that after leaving the EU, the new trade deals we can strike will boost British businesses and make us all richer. Brexit sceptics point out that we haven't even left the EU and we're already seeing the value of the pound dropping, pushing up prices and leaving people less well off. They say that's only the tip of the iceberg and that Brexit will lead to lower living standards. Others think Brexit will hit big banks and corporations but that for most people it won't make a difference. So who's right? What's Brexit actually going to mean for most of us? So first of all, let's go back to basics. Uh, Sam, what changes to our economy might we see because of brexit?
1: So it's it's it depends. We don't we don't know yet, but essentially there, there's two pathways we could take. one in which we well, there's three we could stay in the EU, but let's assume that's that's not on the table, but there's one in which we remain broadly aligned with the EU in some sort of deep partnership relationship. Call it whatever you want. Some people would say we stay in the single market, we stay in the customs union, but we're largely broadly aligned or we, we we sort of rupture from the EU system and we go off in our own direction. We maybe have a sort of basic trade agreement with the EU or maybe we trade under WTO, on WTO terms. But in that model and or scenario, we're sort of free regu- from a regulatory perspective to make choices to potentially pivot towards a more US approach to regulating our economy. Mm. Or, or some would say we 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 come up with our own rules and make them ourselves. But I think they're slightly mm. delusional.
0: Okay, have you got a preference there on which one? Uh...
1: I, I like. I try not to let on what my preference <laughs> is, <laughs> right, but because but, of but the
0: line the bees, yeah, yeah.
1: I, I, no, nothing to do with bees, but <laughs> but but no. I think I think from an from an economic perspective, from an environmental perspective, from a regulatory perspective, there's only one logical conclusion. And that's to remain broadly within. The EU's regulatory infrastructure and to continue to align. However, from a political perspective, it's, that's, it's an open question. What, mm. Where do we end up? What do we do? And there are countervailing forces making the argument that we should break from the EU and go our own way slash uh, realign with the US.
0: Mm. So there's a lot of jargon there. I'm gonna I'm gonna do some jargon busting. So okay, you mentioned hit me. single market forget the bees. So you mentioned the single market customs union, a little bit abstract. Can you just uh, explain those a little bit?
1: Yeah, so uh, the single market internal market common market, whatever whatever you want to call it in when it's related to the EU is a deep uh, regulatory agreement that removes border taxes and regulatory barriers to trade. That would otherwise restrict the movement of services, capital, uh, people, or labour, and it's probably within the EU context. No, it is absolutely it. It is the deepest trading relationship in the world. There's nothing else that's removed barriers to the same extent. And the reason it works is because there are institutions, uh, EU institutions such as the European Court of Justice and the European Commission, that make sure that all of the member states of the EU, so us, Italy, Germany, whoever, mm. all abide by the same rules, and it and that they apply those rules within their own country. So it means you no longer have to check those things at the border. Mm. But it's, it's yes, very deep. And, and also, I suppose, so there's the EU countries who are covered by it, but it has been extended in part to some other countries as well on the periphery. So when people talk about Norway or the EA agreement, so Norway, Iceland, Liechtenstein, they have parts of the single market extended to them via something called uh, the EEA agreement.
0: Mm. So we could end up with something like that?
1: Potentially. So that's certainly an option, something like that, maybe not exactly that, but but it's within the realm of possibility. And when I say it's been partially extended to them, it doesn't cover all areas that, say, EU members are covered by. So no, agriculture isn't included in the EEA agreement. Fisheries aren't included mm. in, in the EEA agreement. And they're also outside of the customs union, which is which makes things slightly complicated. And the
0: customs union is. I thought you
1: might ask me mm-hmm. that question. <laughs> a customs union is basically a deep free trade agreement focusing, pr- owned solely on goods, so the things you can drop on your foot, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, where not only have the two the countries involved agreed to reduce or remove taxes on the trading goods between each other, they've also agreed to apply the same tax to all goods coming from countries outside of the customs union. Mm. And what this does, the reason you you do it, is it creates a condition where it's necessary, not entirely sufficient, but uh, necessary, where you could uh, remove the need for customs checks on the border between those countries within the customs union. I mean, I, you asked me to explain it. No, and, you did. not I know. I know. And, I'm looking at you. I, like, I, I, it, was, it was a okay. fairly good explanation, it was, but but it? but it doesn't necessarily mean that you anyone understands it anymore. It is it is, totally it is complicated. Do. There's absolutely no reason on earth that anyone <laughs> okay. in the UK needs to know any of this. But this no, is one I of the, feel... this is one of the things that Brexit has done. All of a sudden, it's in the public discourse, and people have to pretend they know what they're talking so, about. Well, unfortunately, but... we're
0: not in front of a live studio audience. <laughs> I think I was looking at Sam really blankly then, but actually, all of that was super interesting, and I'm. Really really... really glad I know it and I didn't know it before so I am sorry and I appreciate you (laughs) I'm now going to pivot to Annie (laughs) but we're going to come back and it's going to be great
2: thanks
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> OK, so Annie, hi. pivoting desperately. Um, so how, how do these institutions that Sam's talked about um, affect people's everyday lives?
2: In loads of different ways. So everything that's sold in the UK, or at least everything that's bought and sold legally, is uh, subject to EU regulations. And there's a whole load of different regulation that's going on all the time behind the scenes um, that's making sure that our food is safe, uh, that the environmental impacts that we're having are, are sort of reasonable. And, and I guess at, if, if we end up in a situation where we uh, have some kind of trade deal where those regulations aren't applying or if we are making new trade deals in which we have lower regulations, mm. then that we could begin to see the impacts of those, uh, that, that sort of deregulation. So um, it all sounds very boring talking about regulation and actually quite often we don't know about regulation or really care about it until it goes wrong. So mm-hmm. just a few examples. Grenfell, obviously a colossal failure of regulation. We've got the horse meat scandal as well. And we've also got sort of air pollution exceeding EU limits in parts of central London. And in all these cases, and in most cases in which regulation goes wrong, uh, it's it's the poor, it's the uh, least powerful in our economic system who, who get hit the hardest. Mm. Um, so if, if you think about it, regulation is at its best the system by which a democratically elected government intervenes in people pursuing their own private interests often uh, interests of private profit in order to make sure that other people are protected against any adverse effects of those things so mm. yeah i mean the like good regulation really should be something that the little guy is standing up for right yeah. um uh, yeah it, it affects our lives in all sorts of ways that we don't see
0: another are other are like uh, lots of big differences between what
2: regulation looks like, say, in the US and here. So the big story on that has been uh, chlorine-washed Chlorine chicken. chicken. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's something that the EU wouldn't allow. And actually, the really worrying thing about chlorine-washed chicken it isn't just that we're eating chicken that's been washed in chlorine which is just a bit gross but is also that the welfare standards for those chickens to have lived in in the first place which meant that you had to wash them in chlorine are just despicable mm. um, so there's a whole load of um, uh, really tangible ways in which we could start seeing the effects of that deregulation.
1: So, so on the chlorine washed chicken point as well it's, it's also quite interesting in that it was a big discussion over the summer I think Liam Fox brought it up mm. and then Michael Gove had they had a bit of a public spat over it mm. But, but it's not only just that there's issues with chlorine chicken itself, but there's that the actual whether it's safe or not, whether it's okay or not, is actually a second order issue. It the, the, it's actually has much bigger implications because the EU's approach to food safety is so binary. Essentially, you either are fully harmonized with it, you do everything they say, and you also apply the same rules to imports from other countries. Mm. And then that means that potentially, if we still did that after Brexit, we could continue to have a fairly frictionless trade in our own animal products or we don't. And even if we just want the flexibility to change on that, all of a sudden there are new problems that kick in. So for example, if you are a third country in relation to the EU, so you're a country outside of it, there are rules that say that if you are exporting products of animal origin to the EU, it has to go via a certified border inspection post. This sounds a bit boring as of now, but it will get slightly more interesting in a second. I'm with you. where most of our exports to the EU go via mm. is not a certified border inspection post. So I've had people within government say to me that if we wanted to change our approach to food safety afterwards, we would then, as of now, have to helicopter Welsh lamb into, into the EU. But how Mo- have we
0: been doing it before if, it ha- if it's not one?
1: Because we are fully harmonised with the uh-huh. EU's regulation, uh-huh. including for imports from other countries. So, but the other issue is that there are currently no border inspection posts on the Irish border. What it comes down to is if we want the flexibility as the UK to be able to allow in chlorine chicken in the future, we can have that, but along with that, because of EU rules and them being so binary, we would also then need to have a hard Irish border. We would have to have inspection posts on the Irish border. So it actually becomes a choice between chicken that's been washed in chlorine mm. or an, a border in Ireland that acts as it is now. You can't have both. Mm. And a lot, the, Brexit, a lot of the things that pop up with Brexit are there's these binary choices that very sort of trivial things like chlorine chicken just sounds like a funny thing, hiding behind them mm. are really big decisions about how we want to interact with our neighbours and with knock-on implications for things as, as, as controversial and potentially dangerous as uh, at the border in Ireland.
0: So Sam, if we do end up with a hard Brexit mm-hmm. um, where we leave most or all of the institutions of the EU, what could be the impact for the average average person?
1: So on on a hard Brexit, I mean, so so we've been discussing some of the regulatory issues so far, but on a very basic level, if if we were to have a hard rupture with the EU, it's very likely that uh, the pound would depreciate. That would make going on holiday more expensive. It Mm. would make imported food more expensive. And that's
0: happening Um, already, right? It's already depreciated.
1: It's already happening. Yeah, so it's already depreciated. So holidays have already increased in price, and food prices have gone up. Mm-hmm. And you would, you could get an argument that in the hard Brexit scenario. Um, and you had uh, Mr. Weatherspoons making this uh, argument this week that upon leaving the EU and its control over our trade policy, we could just unilaterally decide to reduce all of our import taxes on food being imported into the country. Mm-hmm. And that's something we could do, so long as we applied, uh, reduced that import tax on imports from all countries not just the eu it'd have to be done to everyone and we could potentially do that and potentially mitigate some of the issues with food prices going up because the pound's are weaker than it was before but if we were to do that and it was successful in mitigating that impact it would also probably wipe out our agriculture sector mm. so that's quite a difficult decision to make in the case of a hard brexit if you're if you're if you're in charge Do you prioritise slightly cheaper food, of which the benefits are sort of spread quite thinly over the entire population? We're talking it might be 30 pence cheaper, 20 pence cheaper, 10 pence cheaper. Do you prioritise that? Or do you prioritise what is a very small percentage of the economy in terms of output, which is the agriculture sector, but very locally concentrated and very locally concentrated in areas that predominantly voted leave? Mm. So that's one of the trade-offs If we get to this situation of a hard Brexit, that's one of the things that the government's going to have to make a decision on. And that's not an easy decision to make.
0: Wowza.
2: Yeah, and I think more generally, as you started saying at the beginning, you know, the the effects of a hard Brexit or in particular, the, the effects of an incompetent Brexit, which mm. we're seeing uh, very much, is just just a tanking in the economy. So you've got increased inflation, which, as you say, is already hitting people very hard. That's not a prospect that might happen in the future. People are seeing a real squeeze um, in terms of their living standards because of costs going up. But you've also got already confidence being quite shaky. And so uh, that hitting uh, investment as well, so we've had for for four quarters now. We've had a whole year of every quarter of household income going down. That's incredibly unusual. We had that in two thousand and eight, but that that's that's really unheard of in sort of normal economic times. And what we know, unfortunately, is that when these things happen, it's the poor who who get hit hardest, and particularly women as well in the economy. So so that's. As you say, not just areas that voted Brexit, but also um, an overlapping constituency, but not completely. Also, people who've already struggling to recover from two thousand and eight, being hit again by an economic slowdown.
1: And and the thing, if that were to happen, there's then the big question of what's what what sort of country is the UK? What is who are we in the world? Mm. And what path do we go down? And the big worry is that a hard Brexit such as this, and I'm sort of thinking of this as a crash Brexit, it's not an it's not an orderly deal where we end up with over time with a free trade agreement, but it's been negotiated over four, five, six, seven years. I'm talking about March 2019. We've just fallen out through sheer incompetence because David Davis had a tantrum or just couldn't get on with Michel Barnier. And What do we do then? And the big worry is that we're already outside of the EU's regulatory regime. The barriers to trade have already gone up. We've not got anything to gain by, well, we could gain if we try to get back into it, but at the moment those exist. Where do we go? And then I think that's when, uh, we were discussing earlier, that's when the sort of deregulatory pressures could really come in. Mm. The, The temptation to reduce standards, to try and make ourselves competitive again on sort of global markets. Yeah, that's that. That keeps me up at night, alongside being asked to explain what the customs union and market is.
0: <laughs> well, thank you for passing on the uh, insomnia. <laughs> uh, but no, is, is, is it all bad? I mean, some people who support Brexit say that the UK can will be able to strike new trade deals around the world that are going to make us all richer. You've touched upon that little bit already. Is is that true? Is there a chance?
1: It's very unlikely. Great. So, <laughs> so, so, so I say this because. And there's probably something I should say beforehand. People who people who talk about trade, the one thing they never really like to get pushed on is what the sort what the aggregate, uh, so countrywide, uh, economic impacts of trade agreements are, and and that's because they're actually very very small. So, for example, um, TTIP, which was the EU uh, EU US agreement that would prove very controversial um, for a while, but it's the upper estimate of the benefits to the UK was that by 2027. The UK economy, if we had TTIP in its fullest form, would be 0.35% bigger than it would have been otherwise. Mm. That's in, that sounds like a rounding error. You know, it's, it's not very big. So to make up for the sort of losses that are projected from Brexit, which are all sort of at least 1%, 2%, 3 4 5%, you have to strike a lot of trade deals. Yeah. And one of the issues you have with the US one, so the US obviously being one of the bigger markets we could do it with, to strike a deep trade agreement with them that allows us to make concessions on things like chlorine chicken and all of the regulatory hang-ups they have with the EU requires a much bigger rupture with the EU on our part because we can't stay in their regulatory sphere and make those concessions. So if we were to lower barriers with the US, we would be putting them up with the EU, our closest trading partner who we're deeply integrated with. So I actually think that a deep trade agreement with the US, for example, Would actually be a net negative to the economy because of what it would mean for our relationship with the european union
0: Mm. okay so all of that being said what are the alternatives to this um is there a possibility that we can leave the eu without all of this happening without damaging living standards or would we need to stay to make that happen
2: like i think any form of any form of brexit other than a very soft brexit is likely to increase inequality in this country, both sort of mm. overall and particularly regional inequality. We haven't talked yet about um, sort of the regional investment that the EU provides to areas of the UK that are currently very underinvested in. So, in a way, I think the opportunity, if if you like, um, although it doesn't feel like an opportunity, is we have to now really rethink how we do investment in the UK and really think how we tackle inequality. A key thing about investment in the UK is our sort of broken financial system, which is effectively not getting the right amount of money to the places that it's needed. So 30% of investment in the UK goes back into the financial sector. So that's just people in the financial sector investing in each other um, and creating a kind of casino gambling economy um, uh, Mm. and and making rich people richer. Just 2% of investment in the UK at the moment currently goes to small and medium businesses. So we need to completely shift that around. That, I think, is going to be the way that we really tackle this amidst the kind of chaos uh, that Brexit is likely to throw on us. Mm. Sam?
1: I I I think what's what's been said is right. If we were to have a, a Brexit that was negotiated over a long period of time and resulted in us still maintaining a close, integrated relationship with the European Union, people might not notice difference to begin with i think we'd still be on balance poorer there would still be some industries that were affected but it'd only be maybe in 10 20 30 40 years where we look across the channel and we realize that france germany netherlands they're all a lot richer than we are and then there's questions of how did that happen and it's because we didn't grow as fast or we weren't as competitive as we would have been whatever whatever the reason but but i think that would be the hit there i think Something that was just said that really resonated with me is one of the, the fear of the loss of these structural funds. So something for me, so as you can tell by my accent, I'm from South Wales. Yeah, good, good, that was a good, good, good. very good. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so I'm from Llanetaly, <laughs> um, a, a town in South Wales or, mm. on, on the coast. And actually, my dad, when we were growing up, we were quite a low income family, my dad started a business because of European structural funds he started a small community music studio mm. so that, that's even something that's impacted me quite personally in my life you know we went from sort of not having much money to having a little bit more mm. and to have that pulled away or potentially pulled away is quite worrying because there's issues with how the EU distributes money across all of the different regions and it's, it's effectively done by a spreadsheet mm. when that decision comes back to Westminster it will be done by politicians and there's a lot to be said for democracy, but I'm not entirely convinced that this money will be distributed yeah. uh, in the same way as it was done before, or that it will specifically target the same regions it did before because of need.
2: Mm. I think that what the the Brexit vote showed us as well is that it, this the kind of inequality that people are feeling is is about more than just money. Without wanting to be mm-hmm. too trite, yeah. um, and you know, there's a reason that the that kind of really take control resonated with so many people. Um, There was a really nice moment in um, a lecture where uh, somebody, you know, an academic was talking about the economic benefits of of the EU and a woman stood up and said, oh, that's your GDP, not our GDP. Mm -hmm. There's a sense of those areas feeling so disempowered And the the sad irony is that we're now doing the biggest kind of uh, rewrite of all of our laws ever. And it's not even under the democratic scrutiny of parliament in many cases. And people are feeling more and more detached from that democratic process. So I guess that's the other thing, as well as thinking about investment and really tackling the kind of structural issues in our economy. We need to think about how to do this in a way where those areas who have previously benefited from the EU financially, like South Wales, like Cornwall, for example get to be involved in some way and get to take ownership over the sort of economic development that we need in those parts of the country and that's going to be a key political challenge I think for the next couple of years.
0: Mm. All right. Thanks Annie and Sam for uh, shedding some light on how Brexit's going to impact our lives. For I'm, brightening your day. And brightening my day. I mean, I feel I feel like I've got increased understanding if also increased terror. Um but that's usually You're how it works. <laughs> Thank
2: you. The single market. Customs union, the single market. Customers union the single market. It's not as as simple as clicking your fingers and clicking things as customers union.
0: So to finish up, as the Brexit process rolls on and it becomes more difficult to see the wood for the trees and work out what we should be paying close attention to uh, and what we should be ignoring, what are the key moments in the process or economic indicators that we should be looking out for in the coming months to give us a sense of what's actually going on? So I'm going to ask both of you, just uh, give me a one or
2: two lines on uh, the red flags for the listeners. Annie? Annie? Um, so I will be looking out for the proportion of investment that's going to real businesses, and particularly the proportion of investment that's going to regions outside of the southeast. Mm. Um, and I'll also be looking for household income, see what's happening to that, and also wages that really need a boost. Awesome, Sam.
1: Once I think once they, if there was, they can just get over all the squabbling, the all the sort of theatrics of, of the negotiation as it's gone on so far. And if they, if we get to a stage where they've agreed some sort of grace period for us to be able to negotiate the future relationship. so this is going beyond the march 2019 deadline it could be an extension of article 50 it could just be something that they refer to as a standstill agreement once we hit that stage i will rest ease more easily in the knowledge that we've at least not we've at least got a bit longer to work all of this out And also that I will continue to be asked to speak on podcasts about Brexit (laughs) for at least the next three years.
0: And you've done a stonking job, so I'm sure you'll be booked. booked Absolutely stonking. Absolutely stonking. (laughs) I'm sorry, anyone Welsh. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Thank you again, Annie and Sam, for being my guests this week. And thanks to you, of course, lovely listener. So if you've enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a rating or a review in the Apple Podcast app. A big shout out to our latest reviewers by the name of Wavy K, Tim Bob and Grumpy Man 2013. We discussed earlier that maybe 2013 was just a bad year for you and now you're doing much better. So please let us know. Uh, And you all gave us five stars. So thanks. Uh, The Weekly Economics podcast is produced by Hugh Jordan and James Shield and brought to you by the New Economics Foundation. See you next week.